0: I got to give you Jesus. I got to give you the Lord. And I saw a report that said that for the first time in American history, people that identify as following no religion outnumbers evangelical Christians in our in our country. There are more people who claim they don't believe in God now than there are people that that uh, that say they do as a, as an evangelical at least. And I find that disturbing. The number of so-called atheists is bigger now than it's ever been in our land. And I've told you before, I don't really believe that there's an atheist. This is just my perception. I don't believe atheists don't believe in God. I think they're angry at God. I think they're angry. Something happened. Because God gave it gave us in our spirit a, a knowledge of an almighty God. I believe that we have it there. We can't defeat it. We can suppress it, but we can't defeat it. But so often it's just the fact that that we're facing the the Lord and His authority, I guess, His His uh, consequences or His judgment that makes us rebel and, and go the other way. Uh, I was thinking about that in light of a... Lady I dealt with a couple of nights ago, who left the casino extremely impaired and went off the road. I know this lady very well. We have a very good relationship. And when I got there, the first thing she saw when I got out of the car was me and that that uniform, and immediately she said, "Ooh, why did it have to be you?" <laughs> and I walked down there, and she was angry. She, was she angry at me? She was angry at what I represented. She, she was angry at the fact that I was carrying a badge and that she was going to be held accountable for her actions. It was her actions. Nobody did that to her. And you know, we do the same thing with God. And I believe, this is my, just my belief, I can't take you to a, a chapter and verse, it's just my belief that atheists are, have faced the authority of Almighty God and they're they're angry. They're angry that they're being held accountable for their actions and who they who they have chosen to follow. Uh, there it's your mini-sermon. Shall I get into the main one or just continue on that one? <laughs> Turn with me if you would to the book of Matthew in chapter 20. Chapter 20 of Matthew. And this is a special time of the year, you know. Um, resurrection Sunday next week where we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord and and I, I enjoy that like all do. Uh, I take a, a little bit of an opposing view in the fact that I think we ought to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day and every week. I don't, I don't think there ought to be a, a week that we don't celebrate the fact that our Lord is a risen Savior. He is the Lord, the one and only. There is no other beside Him. Amen. And, amen. So we should be give, celebrating that fact every single week. Matthew chapter 20, are you there? All right, verse 17. And it says, And Jesus, going down to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Then go down to Chapter 21, verse 1, and it says, And when he drew nigh unto Jerusalem, there, there came to Bethpage and unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man shall say unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting on an ass, and the, colt, and the full of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the ass, the colt, and put... On them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna unto the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of the Nazareth of Galilee. And Father, we thank you today for being here and in your presence. And thank you, Lord, for coming to join us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that has come to to commune with us today. And I pray, Lord, that you will use me in my weariness and my frailty and my imperfection to bring forth the perfect Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit directed by you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Quick intermission.
0: Oh, yeah. Alrighty, then. <laughs> so this is the beginning of a four-day reign when Jesus was basically crowned king for a while. And it I want you to think about what was going through his mind at this point. See, Jesus knew all things. He knew when he went into that city... He was fulfilling prophecy. He was going to come in, he was going to be riding on a donkey, coming into that city, that the people were going to sing to him and wave branches to him. They were going to straw them in the way and, and hail him as a king. He knew that just a few days later, they that same crowd were going to scream, crucify him. That would be the hardest part for me, is the thought that, Nothing that they're giving me right now is real. That, that's the way I would view it, just in my my own personal way. I'd be looking at him like, "You joker! I know what you're going to do in a few days. Don't even play this with me." <laughs> Fortunately, God has far more grace than I do. That's a good thing. But see, Jesus had this, and he he knew what his people were going to do. He knew how they were going to 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 treat him, and just a in that period of the week, he was. In the garden in prayer, and he was praying to such an intensity that blood was pouring out of his off down his face from his sweat glands he was sweating blood as he was so intense as you could imagine if you knew crucifixion as. One of the, if not the most painful, excruciating way that a person could die, and you knew that that was coming up in just a few hours. Would you sweat drops of blood? You may very well do that. But while that's going on, the very ones that he had been training and teaching and, 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 and infusing himself into, what were they doing? They were catching a catnap. They didn't even have the intensity with Him of what was coming up. They had no understanding of what was coming up, even though He had given it to them repeatedly. They knew they should have known what was coming. Just knowing the Old Testament prophecies, they should have known what was coming. But I think that they were still at that point where they kind of knew who He was. And they kind of understood, but they didn't quite grasp the whole thing. Oh, They had to have it all. They'd been following Him for so long. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I still think, just like today, people have an amazing ability to take this book and look at certain parts of it, but not other parts of it. They embrace this part. This is great, man. God's going to bless me. He's going to fill my coffers. He's going to make me rich, and I'm going to be blessed beyond all measure. What's the stuff about judgment? No, we'll go past that. (laughs) Well, that's not so much fun. We don't like that. And, And so I think it was very... Probable that the disciples had embraced the part of Scripture and the part of Jesus' teaching that they liked. We tend to do that as people. We tend to focus on what we like. When's the last time you picked up a devotional in a Christian bookstore that had all kinds of things about judgment or sacrifice and all that? And they, they pretty well focus on the good stuff. Now, The devotional tends to focus on the good stuff, and we get used to that, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on the good stuff, just as long as you realize that God is also a God that demands obedience, and a God that will judge and does judge. We can't forget the whole story. So he knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Now man has wanted to do that probably since the day God created man. Man has always said, boy, I wish I could just see what's going to happen in the future. Anybody ever listened to that super late night radio with George Norrie and who, those other crazy guys? Anyone ever listened to all that stuff? Being a cop working night shift, you know, you turn that on just to try to stay awake and it was so comical. But they would have these guys on there that, uh, I'm trying to remember what they called it. It was uh, remote viewing, and these guys would say that they could go into remote viewing and they could see into the future of what was going to happen on any specific day. And George Nori and these other guys would, have, would ask him, well, what's going to happen on this day? What's going to happen this way? And it was ridiculous, of course, but it kept me awake. And, uh, and Nori asked one of them one time, he said, Has you, have you looked at the day you're going to die? He said, we never look at that. And I went, liar. <laughs> if you can do it, that would be the first thing you would look up. <laughs> How long do I got? <laughs> but you see, we don't have that privilege. We don't have that privilege. We could be sitting in church right now and have a heart attack and not leave this building alive. Amen. Or we can live for another 50 years. We don't know. We have no clue. And there's nothing that says age is a, it, it, it makes a difference in it because you can be two years old and die or you can be 120 and die. It doesn't matter. It, it, we have no view of what that future is going to be, what that time frame is going to be, and how it's going to happen. Am I going to die peacefully in my sleep, or am I going to die in an excruciating, painful way? Is it, where, where is it? Is it a disease? Is it an accident? somebody going to shoot me? What is it going to be? I don't know. You don't know. But Jesus knew. That, I think, would be worse. <laughs> I think that in a lot of cases, that would be worse. Like, just surprise me. I don't want to know. Just just surprise me. And Jesus knew exactly what was awaiting him. But see, the people definitely didn't have a clue what was going on. They had no real clue who he was coming in there. They were, <coughs> again, viewing that that king. And I'm always puzzled. Why exactly did they respond the way they did? Because... Yeah, granted, they'd been following Him and all this, and He'd come into Jerusalem before, but God, and I believe the Holy Spirit did something over that whole city that day that made them recognize on some level, this is the King of Kings, this is the Messiah. And they embraced that. But the problem is, they embraced only the Messiah they wanted. They only, this is the Messiah that is going to take back the kingdom from the Romans. This is the Messiah that's going to rule and put a king, he's going to be in the throne right here in our presence all the time. All of our enemies are going to be defeated, we're going to be in control, we're going to be, lead our own land again, and he was the one that was going to do it, praise God Messiah. But they didn't look at scripture of what the Messiah was really going to go through. They didn't understand, they had no concept of what Messiah was. I saw a video a couple of days ago of, what's her name? Paula White. And she was going to her congregation and, and people across the world and pleading that each of them take a month's paycheck and send to her. I'm like, I'm right on that. I got the checkbook out right now, lady. And I think, what is in the minds and the hearts of the people that are doing that? What is there? What happened? What happened? Because they don't have any concept of the scripture, they have no concept of the of the truth of God's word. They are looking for something that is not in this book when they are sending money like that to a preacher. And let me let me say, you know, we are a super giving church, and I thank you for that very much. This church supports so many things; it's amazing to me. But the church supports the right; they they support ministries. I always wonder when these people are begging for somebody to send them all this money and they have no ministry going out whatsoever. Nothing. There's no orphanages. There's no missionaries being taken care of. Nothing. They're literally saying, send me money. Why do people do it? Because that person says, send me money and God will give you all kinds of stuff. You know what the sin is? It's greed. I believe that the people that get wrapped up into that are in the sin of greed. I don't go to church, you don't come to church looking for a monetary benefit when you get here. At least I hope you don't. I'm not promising you a full bank account, but I will say this to you. God will take care of His people. If you're a giving person, God will bless you. You know what? It may not be in a, in a winning the lottery. I hope you're not playing the lottery. Just throwing that out there. God blesses in a lot of ways and it isn't always in numbers on a check. Amen. God blesses in many ways. God does take care. And see, these people had no concept of who was coming into town. They had a vision in their mind of who the Messiah was. But that vision wasn't who the Messiah was at all. They... They said, this, we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting. We're going to be in charge again. We're going to have stuff again. We're going to be on top of the world again. And they didn't even think about the fact that the very scriptures, the word of the living God in the Old Testament, talked about what was going to happen to Jesus when he came into Jerusalem. There was, it wasn't going to be song and dance. It wasn't going to be show and fun at all. But many today do the same thing. Defeat my enemies. Make me rich. Make me powerful. Make me happy. Do all that stuff for me. Me, me, me. And you know what? The gospel isn't about me. The gospel is about Him. I am blessed to be born again. I I haven't heard... People talk about all the blessings of God and one day it hit me and I thought, you know, when it really comes down to it, God's already done enough for me. If God never, ever, ever did anything for me again, has He not already done enough by saving my soul? Is that not true? Praise the Lord. If He never does another thing, He's already done enough. You know what that means, though? The fact that He does continue to bless me and continue to bless you, that's gravy on the the potatoes right there, folks. That's icing on the cake. Because He loves us so much, He genuinely does bless us. Praise the Lord for that. And so, and and I use this illustration uh, when I was in North Carolina and I preached at a, at a church there, and I, uh, you know, the people know my son-in-law, and if you know, if you knew my son-in-law at all, you would know that a tool does not fit in his hand. It does not fit there. He has no idea what to do with it. If you handed him a screwdriver, he would probably stare at it and say, "Yep, that's a big, long, skinny thing. What do I do with that exactly?" And I, and I told him, and of course, that's his church people, and I, and I said, you know. Uh, if somebody come up to me and they said, I saw your son in law today, he was out working on his truck and he had his rap music blaring up in the, in the, on the speakers there and he was, he was, you know, taking care of working on the truck, uh, and that was a great visit, I would say you are a liar. You don't know who my son in law is. He wouldn't be listening to rap music, and he does not know how to hold a tool, so that's not the fact. But if you came to me and said, I met your son-in-law today, and we watched 47 hunting videos in one day, and he was up there ironing everything, including his underwear and his socks, uh, I would say, you know my son-in-law. That's who he is. <laughs> Shouldn't it be the same way with Jesus when people come up to us and describe somebody that is completely foreign to us? He doesn't even fit Scripture at all. He doesn't even sound like the Jesus that we know from this book, and yet people will embrace that. Oh yeah, that's great. And we're like, no, that Jesus doesn't exist that you're talking about right now. I don't know who you're talking about. That's what they were at. They had in their mind who the Messiah was, but they did not have in their mind who the biblical Messiah was. Those are two totally different people. And they did not understand it. See, this was really the first time that Jesus had come out as king. He was now the king. He was, he was king for four days. <laughs> what a thrill was that. Four-day king. <clears throat> they had already decided. Uh, but if they had understood Old Testament, they would have realized. In Zechariah 9.9 it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, and he is just and having salvation lowly, and riding on an ass, and upon the colt and the foal of an ass. He was coming humbly. He wasn't coming to take over. He wasn't coming as a conquering king. He was coming as a as a humble servant and sacrifice. He was coming into town knowing that by the time he left, he would the, the way he left was going to be straight to the father because he knew that he was coming into town to be sacrificed he came he was coming into town to lay down his life for salvation for all are you with me here Praise God for salvation. We are born again because of what Jesus did on that, uh, that time as He came into town and He was proclaimed as King and just a few days later the very same crowd screamed, crucify Him and kill Him. Why? Because the Jesus that they had in mind and the Jesus that came to town turned out being different and it did, they didn't like that. That made them angry. Wait a minute, you're not the God that I plan to serve. Have you ever heard people actually say that? If God does that kind of thing, I'm not worshiping Him. I've heard that kind of comment. If your God is a God that will do that, I'm not going to worship Him. You know what? God has never asked me permission to do anything. And He didn't even include me on the writing of Scripture. I wasn't even asked or consulted, but I can read. <laughs> I do know what it says. But there are people that get very angry. I don't like that about God. I, you know, I used to get mad about the Old Testament story when they're taking the ark for, you know, along, and they're all dancing and celebrating, and the ark shakes, and the guy grabs it to stabilize it, and God kills him. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why'd you kill the guy? That's not cool. He was trying to do something good. Why'd you do that for? But you know what? He's God if he wants to kill somebody. You know why that guy died? Because he disobeyed God. I would rather have what scripture say? Obedience than sacrifice. You can do a whole lot of things in the name of the Lord, but be in disobedience, and it means nothing. If God isn't if you're not obedient to God, it is not anything. So when you think about what he's doing here, he comes into town in humility. He sends a guys ahead. That would be totally cool, by the way. If he says, just go into town and I want you to, you'll meet this guy and this is what he's going to say and then he's, you're, you're going to do that and you go into town and it happens exactly like that, that would be really cool. But how many kings ever went into battle riding on a donkey? You didn't know any that did that. That doesn't even make sense. You would th- think that would have sunk into somebody as they're throwing palm branches down. They're like, shouldn't he be on a horse or maybe have a chariot? Uh, I don't know. Uh, This isn't going the way I expected. But God sent His Son to die on that cross. In just a few days, He was going to that cross. And He came exactly like He did. And I I did this a few years back where I actually did the timetable that we could predict from Old Testament Scripture exactly as it gives time frame, the very day. The very day that Jesus came in to Jerusalem can be traced. They, the, the, the scholars, the real scholars, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they no doubt knew that that was the very day that Messiah was supposed to come into town. I might do that maybe next year again where I laid that out because it's pretty cool. You can take the Scripture in the Old Testament and predict the very day that Jesus would have come into Jerusalem. And He came in on that day. My question is, where were the religious leaders? They knew what day the Messiah was supposed to come into town and they knew how He was supposed to come into town. You know what? Only one came into town that day riding on a donkey. And that was Jesus Christ the King. He was the only one. It was a supernatural fulfillment of Scripture where He had to do it a specific way, a specific day, under a, a specific response from the people. They embraced Him. It was a revival in a sense. And even though nothing seemed to sink into the people at that point, what happened at that time was universally important for the rest of mankind forever. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled that Scripture. So, when we think about this, well, let me think about the things that would be very important that He could do. What did Jesus do as He came into town? First of all, he revealed truth. Truth is always better than something that tickles your fancy. Even though truth often is not very comfortable. We don't always like truth. We often get very angry at somebody who tells us the truth. We tell them, tell me the truth. And then you you say the truth and they get very angry. It's like when the wife says, which dress do you like, this one or this one? And every wise man stands there, dumbfounded at that point, thinking, this is going to hurt. Which one do you like? I've learned to do that with my wife. When she says, what's your opinion on this? I say, what do you think my opinion is on this? (laughs) So I've learned after 36 years. (laughs) I've learned. But see, truth isn't always what we want to hear. I'm going to get a beating later, but it's fun. (laughs) So, so jesus came to give that truth that people didn't necessarily want to hear he also taught how to commune with the father he said if you have seen me you have seen the father I am the express image of His glory, He told us. He is the express image of Almighty God. He is the expression of God. He's more than looking in a mirror. You think, when I look in a mirror, I'm seeing the image. But Jesus, that depth is more than just looking at a figure in a mirror. When you see Jesus Christ, you are literally seeing the Father because He is the expression of the Father. And that's what He was giving as He came into, that, into town. He wasn't ready to pick up a sword and knock down. That's coming in Revelation. (laughs) That's down the line yet. We're not in Revelation. (coughs) And he was here to validate his power and his authority. Intermission. (coughs) Ah. One day this is going to be gone. I believe it. He came to validate his power and his authority. You say, "Well, how did he validate his authority on a donkey?" Because if he had came in as a conquering king, there wouldn't have been a cross. Amen. He had to come in as a humble servant and say, "I am here." And the people had to get angry because he didn't do what they said he should have done or thought he should have done. And because of that, they put him on a cross. And in fact, when asked, which one would you rather have, Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. They were so angry at the fact that he was not the conquering king that they wanted him to be. But if he had been the conquering king, salvation would not have been provided for us. It was because he was the humble king coming into town. Salvation. But how did it validate his authority? Because after He went to a cross and He was dead, done, and buried, our Lord rose again. Talk about authority. Hallelujah! When Jesus came up out of the cross, He stamped that authority forever and ever. He is the authority forever and ever. No other God did it. No other God was able to do it. He was the only one that came up out of the cross. And because of that, 2,000 years later, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and we're going to heaven. Because of that, He stamped that authority. Watch it. (laughs) God demands holiness in His house. As He came into town, He came in as that humble servant. He went to a cross. He come up out of that grave and he bought our salvation. And because of that, he has the right to say, you can do this and you can't do that. I heard somebody say one time, well, the Bible isn't just a book of a bunch of do's and don'ts. I'm like, well, pretty close. (laughs) You look through it, it's pretty close what it is. A whole lot of do's and don'ts in that book. There's a lot of them in there. And people get angry at that. You know what? If I create a tool, I don't have the ability to do that. But if I did, and I worked, and b- built that screwdriver I was talking about, when I got done, that screwdriver better do what I told it to do. You know, what I created it to do. If that thing does not turn screws like it's supposed to do, I'm going to throw it out in the woods somewhere and go to the store and buy a real one. But. If you have if you created something, you have a right to demand that that thing do what it was supposed to do when it was created. God created us and because of that, he has the right to say you can do this and you can't do that. He has that right to demand that of his people. And obedience should be something that is in our heart that we desire to do, not because we you know, it's like when our children, you know, some of us, you know, we had those children that absolutely had to have no enforced through their backside or they didn't catch it. You know, you could never tell my daughter no, you always had to say no. It would always seem to work that way. I don't know. But, but then you have the other child that you just say, no, you don't do this because of this reason, don't do it. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we need to be that child. We need to be the child that is so in love with our Father and so grateful for salvation that we say, God, whatever you want is what I want to do because I want to have your heart. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, is what Scripture tells us. And when we are born again, we desire to please our God. It is in our heart. We're not looking for a way to get around it. We're not looking for a way to get away with something. We're like, God, whatever you hate, I hate too. Whatever you love, I'm ready. Let's do it. It's in our heart and our passion. I know I need to close this thing. I, I get that. I told you I was going to sleep through my own sermon, but I got all wound up. Now I'm going to go home and fall asleep and not wake up until tomorrow. <laughs> so many, many people cry unto the Lord. But that doesn't mean that every one of them has totally surrendered their life to the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name, the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it also says that that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, and he will respond, I don't even know you. I never knew you. Why? Because it's easier to say something, but it's a lot harder to have it in the heart. God redeems us in our heart. I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. You don't have to do a song and dance. You don't have to fulfill some thing to get saved. You have to be born again. That's what the Word of God says. You must be born again. Jesus Christ. This is a special time of the year because we are recognizing that Jesus Christ was was crucified, died, buried, and was resurrected. Next week we will celebrate that. You know what? We're going to celebrate it tomorrow too. And and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. And then when we come back next Sunday, we're going to celebrate it with all our hearts and all of our minds, right? Right? Amen. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Lord, we we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, as we look into your word, we realize how great it is to be born again. We know, God, that the world that we live in today is turning away from you. But as as that is happening, at the same time, we realize your presence so much more each and every day. Lord, there's getting less and less things to, to, to replace you with, it seems, because the world is trying to embrace evil. And God, I just pray that all those distractions, all those temptations, will be put down in the name of Jesus. And let every one of us embrace you as our Lord and our Savior and our King every day. Let us realize what happened that day that you rode that donkey right into the middle of the city as a humble, humble servant. And then you went to that cross for us. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. Lord, right now I look around at this congregation of people and I pray your blessings upon them, everyone. I ask, Lord, that you will bless them, that the hand of the Lord will be upon each one and give them a great week. But Lord, more than anything, I pray that every minute of this week, their hearts and their minds will will be on you, that they will realize that you are real in every way and that you have never left them, never forsaken them, and that you are moved with the feeling of their infirmities. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and the church says, Amen. amen. Thank you, folks. God bless you. Have a beautiful, wonderful day.